Welcome to Set Free 24-7. My name is Robert, and I am so glad that you're here. We are reading through the Bible in the message version in one year. And if that doesn't sound exciting enough to you, we got a little bit of murder, some divorce, and remarriage advice <gasps> today. I know. All in one book? All in one book. And they're the words of God? They are. So join us on this journey through the Bible. We're happy to have you here today. Hi, husband. How are you today? I am good wife. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing really well. <laughs> As always, we'll have the text that we're reading through down in the comments below. So follow along in your favorite translation or just let us do the hard job of reading and put us on in the background. I believe that brains are sponges. Whatever you immerse yourself in is what's going to mm. be soaked up. So let's make it some good stuff today. Let's do that. Heidi's going to be starting out in Matthew 5. Verse 21 through 32. And here we go, right off the bat, let's soak up some good stuff under the label of murder. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Starting at 21. You're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly calling a brother idiot and you just might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yelled stupid at a sister and you are on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. I'm sorry, Coraline and Janelle for calling you stupid at some point in my life. <laughs> I was kind of a bad big brother for a while. <laughs> we are all guilty of this, mm. but how often do we stop to think of it I think that's pretty black and white. Mm. The very thoughts we have towards other people yes. are seen as murder by God. doesn't matter that we don't. I'm like, well, that dummy over there, well, that was stupid. God's not real pleased with my assessment of that person, and that's on me, Sure. not the other person. I mean, this kind of mm -hmm. hits me right in the convictions here. Add that to the I list hate of getting things. hit in the convictions. I know my convictions Ooh. have been beat up, oh, so <laughs> it's hard to be a good person. So. I've had my convictions bruised a few times. <laughs> yes, probably more than I have, but that's what makes you so interesting. So moving on. This is how I want you to conduct yourselves in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and are about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then, come back and work things out with God. That's a huge calling. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a tremendous sense of responsibility there, and you are really called to live well and with everybody. So many times it's easier to just sweep it under the rug, forget about it, not yeah. talk about it. Yeah, don't make eye contact and with them for two weeks, and then we'll be fine. 20 years later. I know. Yeah. Remember that little thing back here? Words kill. Yes. So continuing on, verse 25, or say you're out on the street and an old enemy accosts you, don't lose a minute. Make the first move. Make things right with him. After all, if you leave the first move to him, knowing his track record, you're likely to end up in court and maybe even jail. If that happens, you won't get out without a stiff fine. 
Now, here we go. Dun, dun, dun. Adultery and divorce. And I want to start this off with letting you know, Robert and I are both divorced persons. Yep. Who are married Absolutely. to each other. Happily even. Very much. As I have come to describe my marriage to this amazing man, he is my what God has joined together. The D word mm. will never be used in this home. Mm. This is my forever. I know that as much as I know that I am reading God's, God's word. word. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> I love you. We're on the same page. Yes. All right. So let's Literally. talk some adultery and divorce. <laughs> well, let's do it. We're getting sticky here. Oh, yes. Because there's some pretty strong feelings on this. There we is. can maybe talk a little bit. We're not going to get into this too deeply. That's yep. Let's do that That's some other time. Thing. It's an interesting topic. Verse 27. You know the next commandment pretty well, too. Don't go to bed with another spouse. The fact that you need a commandment for that well, is pretty telling about how humans are. Like, God must be like... And even what uh, maybe the culture was back in mm -hmm. that day. Women had such little value. Yeah. But don't think you've preserved your virtue simply by staying out of bed. Your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. Mm. Those ogling looks you think nobody notices, they also corrupt. Mm. Let's not pretend this is easier than it really is. If you want to live a morally pure life, here's what you have to do. You have to blind your right eye the moment you catch it in a lustful leer. You have to choose to live one-eyed or else be dumped on a moral trash pile. And you have to chop off your right hand the moment you notice it raised threateningly. Better a bloody stump than your entire being discarded for good in the dump. They're not literally telling you, gouge out your eye and right. lop off your arm. Right. Be very thankful for the love of a God who yeah. in his good grace and mercy has covered our sins. Yeah. All of them, past, present, and future. He doesn't want you lopping off limbs or poking out your eyeballs. Yeah, don't do that. But... This is some pretty harsh, be aware of your thoughts. Yeah. Keep your mind in your own home. How's that? I think that's a good thing. Mind and heart, stay at home. Verse 31. Remember the scripture that says, whoever divorces his wife, let him do it legally, giving her divorce papers and her legal rights. Too many of you are using that as a cover for selfishness and whim pretending to be righteous just because you are legal. Please, no more pretending. He's talking to men here. Mm -hmm. Remember that. If you divorce your wife for those selfish whim reasons, remember that and read it that way, not for any reason whatsoever, for selfish whims. You are responsible for making her an adulteress unless she has already made herself that by sexual promiscuity. And if you marry such a divorced adulteress, you automatically are an adulterer yourself. You cannot use legal cover to mask a moral failure. 
in the message Bible that I'm reading, yes. I do have a little pause here. Interesting. I'd like and, to see if I'm even remotely close. And it's in regards to verses 21 through 26. So it's about anger, uh, the oh, uh, dangerous emotion. Oh, good. Anger is a legitimate emotion. It isn't a sin any more than laughter is. Mm -hmm. We need to think through the legitimacy of anger for we're prone to think condemningly of it. Paul, for example, tells us to be angry, but to be careful and not let our anger get away from us and cause us to sin. Yes. Further evidence of its legitimacy is that it is ascribed to God. The wrath of God and the anger of God are common biblical phrases. All the same, anger is a dangerous emotion. It can easily consume us and in consuming us lead to our condemnation. I'm telling you, Jesus said, that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Most anger, in other words, ends up being sinful. Mm -hmm. It's sinful not because of the emotion itself is wrong, but right. because the thing that we want is wrong, or we're angry with the wrong person right. in the wrong way, mm -hmm. or for too long of a time. Unlike divine wrath, which burns with a clean flame, Human anger generates a toxic and suffocating smoke. Ooh, we've been talking a lot about that, actually. Mm. We probably didn't use those exact words, Yeah. but the conversations have been exactly that. So we're going to bounce forward now to Acts, and I'll be reading Acts 7, verse 42 through 60. So God wasn't at all pleased, but he let them do it their way. Worship every new god that came down the pike and live with the consequences. Consequences that were described by the prophet Amos. Now I'm going to pause here real quick. Just a quick reminder. We're talking, this is uh, Stephen, just to give this context. Mm -hmm. Stephen is standing up now in front of all these chief priests. And he is full of the Holy Spirit. And yes. he is telling them what's up. Oh, he had stood there with his countenance mm -hmm. looking like an angel. Yes. And that's up fierce look not the little cupid ready yeah. to shoot somebody with a love arrow <laughs> oh he's coming in with a love bomb yes. and that means there's destruction that comes with it so he said uh so and to live with the consequences consequences described by the prophet amos did you bring me offerings of animals and grains those 40 wilderness years O israel hardly you were too busy building shrines to war gods to sex goddesses Worshipping them with all your might, that's why I put you in exile in Babylon. And all this time our ancestors had a tent shrine for true worship, made to the exact specifications that God provided Moses. They had it with them as they followed Joshua, when God cleared the land of pagans, and still had it right down to the time of David. David asked God for a permanent place for worship, but Solomon built it. Yet that doesn't mean that the Most High God lives in a building made by carpenters and masons. The prophet Isaiah put it well when he wrote, Heaven is my throne room. I rest my feet on earth. So what kind of house will you build me, says God? Where can I get away and relax? It's already built, and I built it. And you continue so bullheaded, calluses on your hearts, flaps on your ears, Deliberately ignoring <laughs> the Holy Spirit. I know, he's great. <laughs> Deliberately ignoring the Holy Spirit, you're just like your ancestors. Was there ever a prophet who didn't get the same treatment? Your ancestors killed anyone who dared talk about the coming of 
the just one. And you kept up the family tradition, traitors and murderers, all of you. You had God's law handed to you by angels, gift-wrapped even, and you squandered it. At that point, they went wild. A rioting mob of catcalls and whistles and invective. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, hardly noticed. He only had eyes for God, whom he saw in all of his glory, with Jesus standing at his side. I just got the chills. <laughs> he said, Oh, like I see heaven wide open oh. and the Son of Man standing at God's side. Yelling and hissing, the mob drowned him out. Now in full stampede, they dragged him out of town and they pelted him with rocks. The ringleaders took off their coats and asked a young man named Saul to watch them. Remember that name. As the rocks rained down, Stephen prayed, Master Jesus, take my life. Then he knelt down praying loud enough for everyone to hear, Master, don't blame them for this sin. Those were his last words, and then he died. Saul was right there, congratulating the killers. That just like brings me to tears. I know, I, I got mean, chills reading it. I literally can only hope I have a fraction of that kind of testimony. yes, God, yes. and testimony. I hear you. And just the joy he had. Mm -hmm. Like he didn't even know. He was so full of the spirit and joy. Mm -hmm. He didn't even notice. Yeah. That's God. And that's the spirit. He knew exactly who he was going to be with. Can you imagine how excited he was? Yeah. And he just used the last of his breath to just say, to forgive them in hoping that they would hear his words and listen because he's yeah, going to he's be going. with Jesus in full. So there's a little pause section right here at the end of this chapter. And it's all about this last section that we've been in of verses 1 through 60 in chapter 7. So Stephen was killed for his witness. The blood that was shed worked as seed in the world, and the church sprang out of it stronger, fuller, and more complete than at any point up to that time. Instead of subtracting one from its membership, the church was strengthened and increased in innumerable ways through Stephen's life, and still is. Most noteworthy is the influence of Stephen's life on the life of Paul. There can be little doubt that the murder of Stephen was the first wedge into the life of Paul, eventually resulting in his conversion and mm -hmm. apostleship. As Augustine wrote, the church owes Paul to the prayer of Stephen. Perhaps more than anything else, Stephen's final prayer is a model for us, for in it he offered up to God all that he was. Jesus was the single and final reason for all that Stephen did, and when Stephen died, it was for his Savior. Stephen had no eyes for effects or results or the opinions of the crowd. He cared not for what people did or said. He was a simple servant who looked to his master and was confident of his reception in heaven. I can't shake the thought that just all of a sudden, I just, it is remarkable that great sacrifice causes unbelievable growth in life. 
the sacrifice of Jesus, yes. the sacrifice of Stephen, the and it may be raw sacrifice and... in all its form throughout the Bible always was for and resulted in growth and life. We're all called to make sacrifices. What are you sacrificing for your Christian walk? Because what I'm seeing is when you make that choice, your rewards are going to be growth beyond explanation mm -hmm. in life, yep. rich and full and amazing. Yeah. This is good stuff today. It is good. Little murder, divorce, and whatnot. <laughs> and some stoning. So, and a good stoning. And a good stoning. Man, this Ooh. has been an action-packed day today. Oh, my goodness. Can we go back and see what David has to say? So we are now at everybody's favorite point in the segment where we are rewinding back to the Old Testament. I, know, I still can't believe you took away my ability to make that sound. Well, <laughs> you know. Yours is a lot better. <laughs> All right, so Heidi's going to be starting out here today and reading Psalm 12. All right, here we go. Let's hear what David has to say. Psalm 12. Quit, God, I need your helping hand. The last decent person just went down. All the friends I depended on gone. Everyone talks in lie language. Lies slide off their oily lips. They double talk with forked tongues slice their lips off their face, pull the braggart tongues from their mouths. I'm tired of hearing. We can talk anyone into anything. Our lips manage the world. Into the hobbles of the poor, into the dark streets where the homeless groan, God speaks. I've had enough. I'm on my way to heal the ache in the heart of the wretched. God's words are pure words. Pure silver words refined seven times in the fire of his word kiln. Pure on earth as well as in heaven. God, keep us safe from their lies, from the wicked who stalk us with lies, from the wicked who collect honors for their wonderful lies. Ooh, love it. That was a great psalm as well. I see why that was impactful for I you. know. And now we are bouncing back to Genesis, and I'll close us out here today with chapter 29 and 30. Jacob set out again on his way to the people of the east. He noticed a well out in an open field with three flocks of sheep bedded down around it. This was the common well from which the flocks were watered. The stone over the mouth of the well was huge. When all the flocks were gathered, the shepherds would roll the stone from the well and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone, covering the well. Jacob said, Hello, friends. Where are you from? They said, We're from Haran. Jacob said, Do you know Laban, son of Nahor? We do. Are things well with him? Jacob continued. Very well, they said. And here is his daughter Rachel coming with the flock. Is this like that Dutch bingo that people play now? I think it is. This was this was like the or, original Dutch bingo. That's right. Bingo. This is the origins of Dutch bingo right here. Jacob said, there's a lot of daylight still left. It isn't time to round up the sheep yet, is it? So why not water the flocks and go back to grazing? We can't, they said, not until all the shepherds get here. It takes all of us to roll the stone from the well. Not until then can we water the flocks. While Jacob was in conversation with them, Rachel came up with her father's sheep. She was the shepherd. The moment Jacob spotted Rachel, daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, saw her arriving with his uncle Laban's sheep, 
he went and single-handedly rolled that stone from the mouth of the well oh, no. and watered those sheep of his uncle Laban. Then he kissed Rachel and broke into tears. He told Rachel that he was related to her father oh, no. and that he was Rebecca's son. She ran and told her father, and when Laban heard the news, Jacob, his sister's son, he ran out to meet him, embraced and kissed him, and brought him home. Jacob told Laban the story of everything that had happened. I can't believe Hallmark hasn't made this into a movie yet. <laughs> and again, I am not mocking the Bible in any way, shape, or form. I just get visual images, and I just I picture mean, yes. this young buff man. I'm going to impress this beautiful maiden up here. Takes all the shepherds. Nah. Stand back and watch me, and he rips He said, so hold my flask. He probably couldn't move his arms for like three <laughs> months after that, ripped muscles, and but man, he's like flipping <laughs> arm up to hug that girl. <laughs> Sorry about oh, that, but... So good. Oh, goodness. Laban said, you are family, my flesh and blood. When Jacob had been with him for a month, Laban said, just because you're my nephew, you shouldn't work for me for nothing. Tell me what you want to be paid. What's a fair wage? Now Laban had two daughters. Leah was the older and Rachel the younger. Leah had nice eyes, but Rachel was stunningly beautiful. And it was Rachel that Jacob loved. Of course it well, was. There's something to, I have nice eyes. That's my thing to offer. <laughs> Good thing you like my eyes. I do like your eyes. <laughs> So Jacob answered, I will work for you for seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. It is far better, said Laban, that I give her to you than marry her to some outsider. Yes, stay here with me. So Jacob worked seven years for Rachel, but it only seemed like a few days. He loved her so much. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. I've completed what we've agreed I'd do. I'm ready to consummate my marriage. <laughs> Laban invited everyone around and threw a big feast. At evening, though, he got his daughter Leah and brought mm. her to the marriage bed, and Jacob slept with her. Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as her maid. Morning came, and there was Leah in the marriage bed. I mean, okay. <laughs> I have questions. Humanity has <laughs> never changed ever young men show up for beautiful women they want the pretty thing people are tricksters they fool they trick they deceive I mean, was he and drunk? I, mean, I don't know i have never well they are covered they oh. wear they wear veils and it's covered it's a so i can see how that yeah could happen what do you think leah felt like yeah. Knowing she wasn't wanted, he saw her as ugly. Her father knew this guy wants the better one, quote unquote. So I'm going to trick him because I got to do something with this older, ugly daughter I have that she has nice get married, eyes. If she doesn't get married quick. So, yeah. honey, nobody's going to want you. So we're going to pretend you're somebody else and fool him. And he's not going to like it, but I'll get him to stick around longer. So here we go. Morning came and there was Leah in the marriage bed. Jacob confronted Laban. What have you done to me? 
Didn't I work all this time for the hand of Rachel? Why did you cheat me? We don't do it that way in our country, said Laban. We don't marry off the younger daughter before the older. Enjoy your week of honeymoon, and then we'll give you the other one also. But it will cost you another seven years of work. It's just gross. Now listen, I'm just going to pause this real quick and say personally, like I did five years in prison. Okay. And (laughs) if I did five years in prison for something, and then somebody said, okay, here, we're going to give you this instead. But in order to get this other thing, you got to do another five years. I would have walked out of there so quick. She must have been real. She must have been real pretty. Anyway. Oh, this is just gross to me. Oh, I know. Jacob agreed. When he'd completed the honeymoon week, Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban gave his maid, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, as her maid. Jacob then slept with her, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. He worked for Laban for another seven years. When God realized that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. Leah became pregnant and had a son. She named him Reuben. Look, it's a boy, is what that meant. This is a sign, she said, that God has seen my misery and a sign that now my husband will love me. She became pregnant again and had another son. God heard, she said, that I was unloved and so he gave me this son also. She named this one Simeon, which means God heard. She became pregnant yet again. Another son. She said, now maybe my husband will connect with me. I've given him three sons. That's why she named him Levi, which means connect. She became pregnant a final time and had a fourth son. She said, this time I'll praise God. So she named him Judah, which means praise God. And then she stopped having children. Chapter 30. When Rachel realized that she wasn't having any children for Jacob, she became jealous of her sister. She told Jacob, give me sons or I will die. Jacob got angry with Rachel and said, am I God? Am I the one who refused you babies? Rachel said, here's my maid, Bilhah. Sleep with her. Let her substitute for me so that I can have a child through her and build a family. So she gave him her maid, Bilhah, for a wife, and Jacob slept with her. Bilhah became pregnant and gave Jacob a son. Rachel said, God took my side and vindicated me. He listened to me and gave me a son. She named him Dan, which means vindication. Rachel's maid Bilhah became pregnant again and gave Jacob a second son. Rachel said, I've been in an all-out fight with my sister and I've won. So she named him Naphtali, which means fight. When Leah saw that she wasn't having any more children, she gave her maid Zilpah to Jacob for a wife. Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> it's like trading cards here. It's so icky to me. Like yes. so sad because those maids, nobody cared about them. Nobody. It was just a means to an end. It was no different than, oh, I have dogs and I'm going to sell puppies. I mean, it's sick to me. Zilpah had a son for Jacob. Leah said, how fortunate, and she named him Gad, which means lucky. When Leah's maid Zilpah had a second son for Jacob, Leah said, a happy day. The women will congratulate me and my happiness. So she named him Asher, which means happy. One day during the wheat harvest, Reuben found some mandrakes in the field and brought them home to his mother Leah. 
Rachel asked Leah, could I please have some of your son's mandrakes? Leah said, wasn't it enough that you got my husband away from me and now you also want my son's mandrakes? Rachel said, all right, I'll let him sleep with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came home that evening from the fields, Leah was there to meet him. Sleep with me tonight. I've bartered my son's mandrakes for a night with you. So he slept with her that night. God listened to Leah and she became pregnant and gave Jacob a fifth son. She said, God rewarded me for giving me my maid to my husband. She named him Issachar, which means bartered. Leah became pregnant yet again and gave Jacob a sixth son, saying, God has given me a great gift. This time my husband will honor me with gifts. I've given him six sons. She named him Zebulun, which means honor. And last of all, she had a daughter and named her Dinah. And then God remembered Rachel. God listened to her and opened her womb. She became pregnant and had a son. She said, God has taken away my humiliation. She named him Joseph, which meant add, praying, may God yet add another son to me. After Rachel had Joseph, Jacob spoke to Laban, let me go back home. Give me my wives and children for whom I've served you. You know how hard I've worked for you. Laban said, if you please, I have learned through divine inquiry that God has blessed me because of you. So name your wages, I'll pay you. Jacob replied, you know well what my work has meant to you and how your livestock have flourished under my care. The little you had when I arrived has increased greatly. Everything I did resulted in blessings for you. Isn't it about time that I do something for my own family? So what should I pay you? Jacob said, you don't have to pay me a thing, but how about this? I will go back to the pasture and care for your flocks. Go through your entire flock and take out every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-colored lamb, every spotted or, or speckled goat, and those will be my wages. That way you can check on my honesty when you assess my wages. If you find any goat that's not speckled or spotted or a sheep that's not black, then you will know that I stole it. Fair enough, said Laban, it's a deal. But that very day, Laban removed all the mottled and spotted billy goats and all the speckled and spotted nanny goats, every animal that had even a touch of white on it, plus all the black sheep, and placed them under the care of his sons. Then he put a three-day journey between himself and Jacob. Meanwhile, Jacob went on tending what was left of Laban's flock. But Jacob got fresh branches from poplar, almond, and plane trees and peeled the bark, leaving white strips on them. He stuck the peeled branches in front of the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink. When the flocks were in heat, they came to drink and mated in front of the streaked branches. Then they gave birth to the young that were streaked or spotted or speckled. Jacob placed the ewes before the dark-colored animals of Laban. That way he got distinctive flocks for himself, which he did not mix with Laban's flocks. And when the sturdier animals were mating, Jacob placed branches at the troughs in view of the animals so that they mated in front of the branches. But he wouldn't set up the branches before the feebler animals. That way the feeble animals went to Laban, and the sturdy ones went to Jacob. The man got richer and richer, acquiring huge flocks, lots and lots of servants, not to mention camels and donkeys. And friends, that is the end of chapter 30. There was a lot today. 
there was a lot today. Yeah. It was kind of a heavy day. Kind of, yes. And I am just going to say once more. Sure. I'm glad to be a New Testament girl because this Ooh. maidservant thing and sister marrying and all this stuff, I'm not about it. When you really stop and read through it and then mm -hmm. you're and you're hearing some of this and then you stop and pause to really think about what was going on. Right. We have came a long way and I love how our God, he's he always about redemption. Right. And I have to continually remind myself, culture and context mm. always matters. This was a completely different culture. These were cultural norms. When I say that, I do not mean that they are okay. It is never okay to give an unwilling person to somebody to be used simply so you can take their resulting child away from them. Yeah. Can you imagine what it felt like to, to be a maid servant, yeah. knowing you're going to be passed around like some pedigree dog so your offspring can be taken from you? I, I can't fathom being in that position yeah. and what that would feel like or to be a wife saying, take my maid and or to know that you're with somebody who doesn't love you. I also, I found it funny though, that as much as Jacob hated being swindled and all that, he was, he a was little, a trickster yeah, swindler. He was getting Everything. It He's like, Ooh, how is this going to benefit me? And how am I going to win? Right. So friends, mm. that's the end of the journey through the Bible for today. Ooh. That was number 12. Yeah. Lots of good stuff in there. Yeah, it's not boring. <laughs> and we look forward to seeing you tomorrow for the next episode. And yes, let me back up here. So friends, that's the end of the journey. And friends, that's the end of the journey through the Bible today. That is number 12. We look forward to seeing you here tomorrow. Absolutely. I cannot wait. We appreciate having you along on this journey, and we look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Thanks again, everybody. See you next time.